Sometimes we are presented with what might be called holy opportunities, situations in which we are given the chance to make a difference, to raise someone up, to witness to God's grace. Such is the situation in Acts 3 when Peter and John decide to go to the Jerusalem temple to worship. Now, this was just an ordinary day. There's nothing unusual about their decision. Uh, They were Jews, like all of the Christians at that time, and so they often went to the worship in the temple. And likewise, it was apparently normal for this lame man that you heard about already to be carried to the temple to beg. Peter and John may even have seen him before, but this time something was different. When the man asked for alms, both of men looked at him intently, almost as if they were seeing him for the very first time. And perhaps they were. Think how easy it is to see someone without really, really seeing him or her. In that moment, Peter and John saw more than just a beggar working the crowd. They saw a man who had never been able to walk and who was forced to beg in order to survive a man who only saw people from beneath them, a man who was not allowed to worship in the temple because of his disability, a man who was lower than low, figuratively as well as literally. They also saw something else, a holy opportunity to raise this man up. And so Peter commands the man, in the name of Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk, and then takes his hand and literally raises him up. Can you imagine what that must have been like for that man? To stand on his own two feet and take steps for the very first time in his life? To see the world from the same perspective as other people? to worship in the temple like everyone else, to know that he would never have to beg again, it's as if his life has begun all over again. No wonder he goes into the temple walking and leaping and praising God, literally dancing for joy and shouting out his praise. Needless to say, the man's exuberance catches the attention of all those around him, and recognizing him as a lame beggar, the people marvel at what has taken place, and then turn their attention to the men who appear to have worked this miracle. Rushing together, they surround Peter and John and the man who was healed, and suddenly Peter sees another holy opportunity, the opportunity to raise up the awareness of his fellow Israelites by speaking to them about Jesus, and he doesn't hesitate to take that opportunity. Why do you wonder at this, he asked them. Why do you stare at us as though through our own power or piety we made him walk? Now, you'd think at that point he'd just go right on and talk about Jesus, but he doesn't. He does something very wise. He establishes his credibility by reminding his audience that both he and John share a common heritage and faith with them. He does this by evoking the time-honored title by which God identified himself to Moses at the burning bush. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Just the use of this phrase is enough to remind the people of the whole history of their relationship with God, 
how God made a covenant with Abraham in which God promised to bless Abraham and through him all the families of the earth. How God renewed that covenant with Abraham's descendants even when they settled in the foreign land of Egypt. How God led the people of Israel out of Egyptian slavery and then claimed those ex-slaves as God's own people. How God gave his people the law by which they were to live and shepherd them to the promised land. And how God had remained faithful to his people even when they turned away. This faithful God, Peter says, the God of our ancestors has given divine glory to his servant, Jesus. By this time, the crowd is listening intently, ready to hear more, open to Peter's next words. They come out of Peter's mouth as a series of contrasts. God glorified Jesus, but you handed him over to Pilate to be sentenced. Pilate was willing to release Jesus, but you rejected him. Jesus was the righteous and holy one, but you asked Pilate to release a sinful murderer instead of him. Jesus is the author of life, but you killed him. Over and over again, Peter gives Jesus titles reserved for the Messiah, for God's servant, the righteous and holy one, the author of life. And over and over again, he condemns the people of Israel for failing to acknowledge Jesus as the Messiah. We are witnesses, he tells them, that God raised up the one you rejected from the dead. What's more, it was faith in the power of Jesus made that made this man standing before you, this man whom you know well, strong and perfectly healthy. The crowd stands silent, stunned by Peter's verbal onslaught. Now let me clarify a couple of things at this point. First, Peter is not condemning those people in particular. The crowd is a stand-in for the entire nation of Israel. And second, Peter is not saying anything to the crowd that he has not already said to himself. Remember that after Jesus was arrested, it was Peter who denied him, denied that he ever knew him. Everyone at Jesus' trial and crucifixion, from the Jewish leaders to Pilate, from the Roman soldiers to ordinary Jews, including Jesus' dearest friends, everyone shared the responsibility for his death. Nevertheless, Peter's words are harsh, and I have no doubt that they hit the crowd hard. Do they hit us? Think about it. Whenever our words and actions hurt instead of help, we too are turning our backs on the holy and righteous one who came to heal our brokenness. Whenever we respond to violence with violence or remain silent in the face of injustice, we too are releasing evil. Whenever we put our desires over the needs of others, we reject the author of life who brought life out of death. When we refuse the love of Jesus, love that offers us forgiveness, teaches us how to live, and gives us abundant life, we are handing ourselves over to guilt and fear. If you're feeling a little bit like the crowd right now, you'll be happy to know that Peter does not leave them there. 
For his purpose is not to put down his people, but to raise them up. Echoing Jesus' words on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Peter offers words of hope to his people. And now, friends, I know you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. In this way, God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, that his Messiah would suffer. Repent, therefore, and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out. Out of evil, Peter says, God has brought good. And through Jesus' suffering, there is redemption and forgiveness. Repent and turn to God, he tells them. Change your heart and your ways, and your sins will be wiped out. For if we turn to God and seek forgiveness, God is ready and willing to raise us up from our lame excuses and give us new life in Christ. With these words... Peter offers the crowd a holy opportunity to acknowledge Jesus as the Messiah and to begin anew. He believes that if his people will repent and turn to God, then times of refreshing, as he puts it, will come, and God will fulfill divine promises by sending Jesus, the Messiah, to bring about the universal restoration of all creation and a time of peace and blessing, a time that began when the risen Christ came to his disciples and said, Peace be with you, and bless them. Jesus continues to offer us peace and blessing. And when we repent, when we change our hearts and choose to walk in his way, we are given the power and holy opportunities to bless others in his name. Last week, I invited you to bless three people during the week. And I'm wondering how that went for you. I'm wondering how you raised up others by blessing them. And I'd like to know if any of you have a story about that blessing time to share with us today. Not so that you can boast but so that we can celebrate and give thanks for the ways in which God works through all of us to bless others. So I'm going to come down here now and ask if anyone has a story about blessing someone to share. Catherine, can, you, can we meet you halfway? Can I meet you halfway? That'd be good. Hi, I'm Catherine. I'm really quiet, so this isn't the easiest thing for me to do. But I had to call the airlines. Fun calling an airline when you have to change tickets. I hate it. I hate calling the airlines. I hate making reservations. I hate dealing with the seats. I hate dealing with the operators. It's just no fun. But Lee said, here's a challenge. Bless somebody. I'm not that person that's going to walk up to you and say, oh, bless you. That's not me. I'm going to go hide in my little shell. However, I had to call United of all airlines. There's there's only one that's worse. I'm not going to name them. And if you've ever lived on a plane, you know what I mean. And I called this United place and talked to this lady and tried to get tickets changed. But my password didn't work. And my name wasn't recognized. And my miles didn't count. And it went down from there. And I started to get upset. 
Then I started to get angry because they misspelled my name. So they didn't believe I was Bienvenue. Can you still hear me? Did it die now? No, there it is. Okay. So finally I said to her, you know what? Thank you for your patience. And, you know, if it's okay, can I just say bless you for trying to help me? In the back of my head was sarcasm. Are you really bloody blah, 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 jerky McJerk face helping me? No. But maybe I can be patient. And I can say, and it must be a fun day for you too. But I didn't say it like that. I said, I really do appreciate you trying to help me. And maybe we could get my name fixed. And maybe three of us might be able to take a trip. I got the most amazing response, the most positive response from that. She thanked me as if that was the most wonderful thing she heard all day. I now have three amazing seats on four flights with layovers that won't require us to run between locations, and everything was taken care of. So instead of getting angry, bless you. Thank you, Lee. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Anybody else? Oh, I got one up here. I'm willing to walk up and down. I can do that all day. I'm getting steps on my pedometer doing this. This is awesome. Uh, when I go to the gym in the morning, uh, it's early, and when I get out of the gym, sometimes I swing by the library across the street to drop off some books or whatever, and there's um, a tent there. Uh, a, a gentleman sleeps there, and I often think I would like to say hi to him. The other morning, he was folding up his tent and starting to put things away, and I had a couple bucks in my, uh, right, you know, in my car, right handy. And I, I just said, I'm going to help him out, just give him a little something to get some coffee. So I walked over and I said, good morning. I have a couple dollars I could give you, and would you just go get some coffee and have a nice day? Did he like the $2? I'm sure he thanked you back. Anyone else? Oh, Jenny. Okay. I'm going to try a different mic, see if this one, you have to hold it like this. I work with someone who just lost his father in the UK, and I wasn't sure how to order flowers or even what their culture allows. So I asked someone that works with him, and they do send flowers and everything, and I was able to find a place, 1-800-Flowers, in case everybody runs into that, that delivers, and I sent him flowers, and uh, his gratitude over email was, was very sweet and endearing, so it felt good to do that for him. That's great. Thank you. Thank you. One more. Ah, uh, Joanne. I have a little short story, and it's a not, but I'll, well, I'm never short. Okay. Anyway, this isn't about, my daughter was telling me uh, when she was driving down in Switzerland where she lives, the traffic was quite heavy, and there were a, a couple of elderly people standing on the curve trying to get across the street, and nobody would stop. So Jody says, when I get up there, I'm going to stop. I don't care. But fortunately, there was a lady that stopped the traffic, 
and she got out of her car and she went over to help these people across the street. They were honking their horns and everything at this lady. But she got these people across the street, and when she got back in the car, everybody was honking and clapping, and she was, thank you very much. <laughs> but I'm just saying, take time. Take time. Help somebody, because you know you never know when you're going to be in that state someday. I've got my wheelchair in the garage already. So <laughs> there you go. God bless. Thank you. All right. As you can see, there are many, many ways to bless people. And sometimes those holy opportunities come when we least expect it. Um, I had a couple of them come to me this last week. Um, I uh, happened to be here, walked back in after going to the library, I think it was, and uh, there was a woman waiting to speak to the pastor, and um, she wanted to, uh, to she wanted to talk to someone about having a memorial service for her grandmother. Now, this is not unusual, but um, she was surprised at how easy it was to make the arrangements, and she was just thrilled that that she could just walk in and someone would help her. And I I, I felt really good about that. Um, later in the day, um, I was ready to get over to the Blue Butterfly and launch an experiment um, to sit at a table with a sign that reads, the pastor is in, want to talk? <laughs> Just curious to see if anybody will strike up a conversation or not. So and I'm hoping to you know, try this once a week just to see what happens. Um, and I was almost ready to leave when another young woman came into the office and wanted to talk to someone. So I invited her into my office, and it turned out she was really struggling with guilt over a broken relationship, and she just needed someone to listen, to reassure her, to pray with her, to let her know that God loves her. I didn't expect that, and after she left, I went out to Elizabeth and said, uh, I think I just had my blue butterfly. <laughs> I did actually end up going over there, but... Um, and, I, you know, I don't know the results of either conversation other than I'm going to do a memorial service in May. Um, and we, oftentimes we don't know what effect our blessing will have on others. We don't know what will happen. But by being present to people in a time of need, I believe that we raise them up and we bless them. And you know what? In the process, we are raised up and blessed. It's amazing how that works. So we celebrate and praise God for those of you who have blessed people this week. And if you have not had the opportunity to do that, well, God's going to present you with those holy opportunities. So never fear. You have those all the time. You just have to see them. Why do you wonder at this? And why do you stare at us as though through our own power or piety we made him walk? Peter asked the crowd, we did not raise this man up on our own, nor do we bless others on our own. But when we repent and open our hearts to God, when we trust in Jesus' name and call on his name in faith, we have access to incredible power through the Holy Spirit, the power to raise up, the power to bless, the power to participate with Christ in bringing healing and peace to the world. I have no silver or gold. But what I have to give to you, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, 
stand up and walk. May we be given the courage and the faith to respond to holy opportunities by giving whatever we have been given, blessing because we have been blessed, and raising up others as we have been raised up. And in everything, may we go walking and leaping and praising God. Alleluia. Amen.